how can somebody be so successful at such a young age in a ridiculously competitive industry? If you can relate to competition, you want to listen to this podcast with Sabrina Stocker, PR expert, marketing guru. She is transforming her business and all of the businesses that she touches. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. See you on the other side. What is excellence in PR? PR for me is all about building trust and how can you create that trust with your end audience, with your consumers, with everyone else in the company and building out that trust bubble. How does someone build trust though? How do you build trust? Time, dedication, but you also can fast track it when you use PR. Now, PR has many different aspects to it, standing for public relations, but it's about what somebody says about you or your brand when you're not in the room. How many people think it's press release, not public relations? Quite, quite a few, um, but it's just one of those things. It's okay. I'll it forgive is. them. <laughs> so this is your relationship with the public. Mm -hmm. That's what PR is. That's what PR is. And PR experts like yourself are there to help me create and gain my, or build my relationship with the public. Exactly. So if you're looking to work with a company or work with an individual, yeah. even if you're looking to buy a product, what are you going to do? You're probably going to Google them. You're going to see what they're about. You're going to stalk their social medias. You're going to see what people are saying about them. And public relations is changing the perception of what someone is saying about you or your brand. Stalk the social medias. Is that still, <laughs> is, is that still a big thing, stalking? I'm guessing it is. Is it getting even more? When there's more content around you, when there's more people, when there's more competition, yeah. you want to find out who that person is. And one of them is now showing up on social media. What's that person saying? How do they react? Do I like their viewpoints? Does that yeah. person resonate with me? Well, look, the social media has evolved, doesn't it? So you can actually direct message people now. Stalking is still probably a bad thing, isn't it? It depends, it, on the, it depends on the connotation of Some stalking. people want stalkers. They want as many followers <laughs> as possible, yeah? They want what well, a lot of... Sometimes we can chase the ego. Sometimes we can want as big as following as possible and all the visibility and the views. But ultimately, what's the objection? Are you trying to become famous, which could be a reason why you want PR? Are you trying to build up a company brand? Are you trying to control the narrative? So depending on that objective depends on how you want to get perceived by somebody. What's the downside of chasing your ego? If you chase your ego, you may, I'd, I'd say it's a mental game, really, right. because you may not feel that fulfillness, that purple fulfillness, and have that emptiness inside of you as you grow. And you're wondering, oh, I'm trying to chase being famous. I'm trying to chase mm. getting there. You get there and you're not happy. So you want it more. In your eyes, who's the best in the world at PR? Following a discussion, I think Richard Branson has done it very, Following very well. Following a discussion that we had before <laughs> this podcast, so Richard Branson, pretty Richard good. Richard Branson, he's got a really good example of how he's taken the Virgin brand, yeah. he's taken his name, and he's created that synergy. So you trust Virgin more, you trust him more, yeah. and he's a character, so you're more likely he's, to want to follow his story. He's a natural character, authentic, daredevil, adventurer. He's he, he's quite he's very consistent in what he does. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was at a, I went to a conference. I think it was 2016. I stand to be corrected by other people that were with me. James Lucas, you you correct me afterwards. Went to a conference. He was speaking there on conference, and um, it was in Dublin, so it was Ireland. 
and very famous person in Ireland, a gentleman named Conor McGregor, UFC fighter. He was also speaking at conference. So anyway, he must have planned this beforehand. It was smart. It was amazing marketing or PR, if you like. So they brought Conor McGregor out when Richard Branson came out and Richard Branson got up, ripped his top off. So he stood there on stage topless. Says, come on then, bite me. And the very next day, it was literally front page of every major national newspaper. That is that PR. That is PR. So he's controlling the narrative. There he was creating a story that he knew other people would find interesting. That's amazing though, isn't it? I, I just like your words, controlling the narrative and creating a story. Mm. So besides Richard Branson, because we had that beforehand, who else is the best at PR? I think Alex Ramosi, especially in the coaching space, has done very well recently. Yeah. What he's done is he's built up his personal brand, which he uses then to funnel into acquisition.com. And because, for example, his business model is buying into businesses so that he helps scale them, you're not going to do that with you're not going to do that with someone you don't trust. So what he's done is he's created the trust through his personal brand and he's funneled that into his other business. There's a natural he's natural as well as Branson, isn't he? And it's incredible content that he's got. I mean, his two books, he's kind of given it all away, hasn't he? And it's how-to manuals, how to make offers, how to generate leads. Incredible. Mm, but so, a, lot, a lot of it, even though he's really good at it, it's taken him a long time to get how there. How long? I think his journey has been a few years. And from that initial place, now how he can articulate himself now, there is a current journey. Richard Branson probably didn't act so imaginative and then know. he realized Ooh. i read his books let's do it you know and he's getting <laughs> but in... it's the storytelling aspect that he's nailed and and actually i think there's authentic authenticity mm -hmm. there. he's being natural himself you know alex Amos, just come back to that example then because you said that it took him years maybe even decades to build up to this point and there'll be people listening to this right now that also want to start get the following and get that kind of fame that kind of comes with that there is a risk of comparing your my lowlights with Alex's highlights. How common is that then for people that are wanting to develop the firm? Mm -hmm. It's the same on all social media. When you're scrolling through social media, it's something I'm putting out there. Yeah. So I'm happy to share it with the world. And I've got the okay that it's a good piece of content for my team. And I'm going to put it out there. So you're comparing your every single day with something that's very manipulously curated. It's like dating. When you go on dating apps, they've specifically put certain pictures there to show that they're with their friends and show they're exciting people. It's the same on social media with business. Social media is PR then, isn't it? Because it, that's your relationship with the public. Mm, it's one big part. It's a big part of PR now. It it didn't used to be. It used to be categorised in its own category. Is it a big part of PR now, social media? I'd say it's intertwined together. Right. So, for example, your social media strategy could be all about getting visibility and creating that know, like, and trust with somebody. Maybe there's certain aspects of PR. For example, if you've been featured in Forbes magazine and you put that on your profile, you're also giving yourself that level of authoritative. So traditionally, the Forbes piece would be PR. But from a holistic standpoint, it's all about how you create that trust with your audience. Let's just go with that, that visibility, you know. So really short and sharp, someone listening right now wants to increase their visibility. What are the top three things they should do straight away? 
make sure they have a good product or offer. There are so many companies, coaches who come up and they're like, I want to yeah. get all this visibility. And they haven't got a good offer that, that, and it doesn't convert. They haven't built up that trust. So they go to market and they got, hey, I've had 100,000 views. Why have I got no new clients? That's because their product or their offer wasn't good enough. So before even deep diving into PR, to really focus and tune in on the is, offer. Is that one and two, top three tips? Or is it, <laughs> is it the product first, the offer second? What's third? I probably put the product and you could you could well, you try them. Product and offer together, <laughs> second and third then. The second for creating good PR, make it super, super clear. Sometimes our brains can be full of amazing ideas. We want to push yeah. people in different directions. Unless there's a very, very clear path to action of what that person should do. They click yeah. here, they click here, and they go here. There's a funnel that you're driving them. Okay. Product and offer. Make sure that people, it's desirable. Super clear path. Mm -hmm. Third? Explain it to your mum. And I say explain it to your mum because if your mum doesn't understand what you do by just looking at what you're doing on social media or on the online, nobody else is. And she'll give you real criticism. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, I hear from other, I hear from other people. Who's liked your post? Well, my mum's liked my post. But does she understand exactly what she can right. do, and can she explain it back to you? Yeah, I think your your nearest and dearest that whole concept of people that will tell you the truth. Let them see it first. So, really nice. So, let's just go the other way. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making? Mm. Sometimes, a lot of experts, a lot of coaches, a lot of consultants, they want to share a story and get the fact that they've been featured in these big publications or go on TV, this exciting things, but they haven't done the work. And unless you've done the work yourself, and I think that's more of a, a moral side of things, should you be that person who is in the limelight because you're growing too fast and can you speak yeah. the talk but can you actually do it? I suppose having the experience of doing it allows you to be authentic. Is authenticity a part of PR? I think I don't think you can get around it these days. Is it an overused word and phrase that? I think people want to see a real person. Yeah. And some people do have an act, right? Some people are actors when they're on social media. Um, but I think the audience is very savvy now and they know who's being real and they know who's not. I, I, I hear uh, or when you read the books and you, you listen to the gurus in, in this area, you know, blooper videos, probably the most watched out of all, all of them. And, you know, the po a polished video, polished content versus natural couple of mistakes in there. Some of the gurus are saying, actually, the 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 one that's natural is better. Hmm. Generally, you're also putting across more value because you actually care about the words that you're saying rather than what right. the end result looks like. So the content itself gen generally is a little bit higher. Should people read a script when they're going on video or should people just be natural? What do you reckon? It depends. So if you, for example, put together a created script, you can put yeah. in a good hook, you can give good content. And a script is a really good place to go if it's the first thing that you're going to do. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just about what the end result looks like. If you're better at free-flowing, yeah. then go for free-flowing. There's also AI now, by the way, that can correct people's eyes. I've seen <laughs> that as well. It's freaky, Someone isn't it? A bit, yeah, it, it, it's good though, isn't it? I hope it's put to good use. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are reading from a script, you can always correct that from, from AI. So what else? What other mistakes do people make in, in, when they're doing PR? Mm, I think 
PR can also, they overcomplicate it. There are hundreds of PR strategies, just like there's hundreds of different marketing strategies to keep it really, really, my economics teacher used to say KISS, so keep it stupid, simple. Um, Simple, stupid, one of the two. (laughs) Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, And that really stuck with me and it resonated with me because we can feel like we're doing complex things, but they need to know point A to B. Very nice. All right, let's go with this Forbes then, because you mentioned Forbes. So that's obviously, it's a well-known, reputable brand that a lot of people aspire to get into. What are the keys to to being published in Forbes? Mm, good question. Forbes is a lot harder to get into now than it was before, just because there's more competition. Yeah. Ultimately, the way I got into Forbes was by doing something that no one else had done before, which is very, very hard to do. I had a software company. We reached nearly half a million users within six weeks just using PR. My Forbes article was how I did that. So if you can do something original in the market and that's never been done before and you get the results, which is hard to do, but that's hard to get into Forbes, that's one big way you can do it. Another really good way is by market timing. If you are an expert at something and that comes up in the market and it's a trending topic and people are searching for that, it's likely that that's what the journalists are looking for experts on. So you can also be an expert in a trending topic. Nice. I like it. I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it, for the listeners? You want to be informed, come up with something really original and obviously choose your timing as well. I'm guessing their journalists will help with the timing thing anyway if there's something... Mm, well, you've got to be proactive about it. Right. So Forbes have probably inundated with emails and experts and they see everything. So the more visible they've seen you, and maybe they listen to a podcast, maybe they've seen you on LinkedIn, they'll actually reach out and go and find you. Right. Very small percentage of the time, but it can happen. But that's about you putting yourself out there. Or you can say, this person always writes about X subject. I'm an expert in X subject. Yeah. I'm going to pitch in and give my ideas and potentially they'll come to me as an expert. Yeah, I mean, look, the the who, not how, it's like, who do you know that can help you do it? So an expert like yourself is going to help people get into Forbes magazine type thing and any other newspapers that want. Let's stick on this social media thing as well that that we're saying. How does someone become more followable? How do you... Okay. (laughs) People want to be... What what have they got to work on to become followable? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that we're going to pick one platform, which is the first thing I'd say. Pick one platform and understand the platform. Got it. Think about it from the platform's point of view. So, for example, with YouTube, what does the platform want? They want their listeners to watch, have like a long watch time, so watch yeah. to the end of the video, and they want people to stay on the platform. So, for example, what Mr. Beast does really well is that first five seconds he says exactly what the youtube video is going to be about and during that video he at the end he's going to say if you want to see what i've done here then go check out this video so he's kept them on the channel and if you can create a content strategy around what the social media platforms are looking for then you're ticking the boxes then you bring in the content yeah all right so make your best friend that platform Mm. make them your best friend so they want to promote you Mm mm-hmm YouTube, does that is it the same with all of the platforms? Instagram, Facebook, TikTok? They all have their own objectives. And if you can cater your strategy to what they want, they're going to make sure that you're pushing and, and showing up. Nice. That's how you become followable. 
That's how, well, that's how you want to make sure that you're visible. Right. To become followable, you need to give a reason for people to follow you. So, for example, they're going to follow James because every, every day or every Tuesday, he's going to give me an amazing insight, which I can then use into my business. People are selfish. They want a reason to follow you. Why Tuesday? Why did you say Tuesday? By the way, you're in my head now. So <laughs> why did you say Tuesday? Tuesday as an example, but generally most people do admin work on Monday and then Tuesday is admin, there. Admin Congratulations Monday. work. <laughs> All right. So Tuesday is better than Monday. People are not in the zone yet. Is that right? More, most statistics show that Tuesdays are better than Mondays, but it's very, very individual per platform. Got it. All right. So you become more followable by giving someone what they want on Tuesday. In general, they want to know if they're going to James's profile, for example, yeah. they're going to get this specific content. James, When I feel, go on James's profile, I'm going to leave feeling motivated. I'm going to leave feeling like I've learned something for my business. Is that the bit that a lot of people miss out? Clarity mm -hmm. of purpose. Clarity of purpose. And so clarity. the audience know what they're going to get consistently every time mm -hmm. and they want to feel something that's when you bring the emotion and the aliveness in when i see one of sabrina's posts when i see one of this person's posts i feel this way and that feeling that and that motion is what creates the memory then the content they consume actually gives them valuable content so they feel like they're on a platform that they're happy to be getting content from rather than wasting time right so let's go with that feeling for a second See, see if any stands out. I don't know if it will or not, because it it's not for me. Have you ever been skimming social platforms and literally you've looked at something, it's caught your attention, and you've just felt overwhelmed with good feelings? Is <laughs> anything standing out? I mean, it's generally like you know, the really cute cat pictures and the cat yeah. videos. <laughs> That's not the conversation here. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's the wildlife stuff. Um, it, it depends, right? It depends on the purpose it depends on the platform but you associate that person with a feeling when i see that person's content i feel inspired mm. i feel motivated i feel alive i feel like i've learned something that's where storytelling works isn't it it creates a f the feeling the emotions mm. storytelling the book what was it talk like ted they reckon 65 percent of your content should be story based mm -hmm. is that right is that still right? Ever since we were young, we listen to bedtime stories when yeah. we share things from the weekend. We're sharing a story. The more we can articulate a story. So should, on the, the Tuesday, <laughs> when people are going out and doing things, not on a Monday, should it start with once upon a time? You, you could, of course, start with <laughs> once upon a time. Um, but it, it's about how we create that, that memory and what they've thought. Look, you, your last five seconds is buying your next five seconds concept. So, you know, if you say once upon a time, they're probably going to, listen to what comes next anyway so if you said once upon a time they'd click <laughs> yeah once upon a time little little of a pause what once upon a time yeah of course is that clickbait it, it could be potentially clickbait it's it's more is that a negative thing clickbait it's getting them to more as long as the actual value in the article resonates yeah, so for example if i was going to read one of your posts and it started yeah. Once upon a time, and I press see more. I, I'm definitely going to start a post next <laughs> this week or next week with once upon a time, just for you guys. Thank you. There you go. Um, and if you read down and you're excited by the end, that's great. 
if I see Once Upon a Time and I read down and I'm like, well, why did I read that? That wasted 30 seconds of my life I'm never going to get back. The next time I see that from you, I'm not going to click. How can I put you into the story of Once Upon a Time, Sabrina? Myself? Yeah. What? Let, what's your story? <laughs> what is your story? I mean, how how have you been so so successful here? In general... Um, we, could, we could get long and deep into the story, but I've always been very motivated, very inspired, grown up in an phenomenal way. I've listened to Tony Robbins and Brendan Bouchard since I was 14 years old. Who's My, better, Tony or Brendan? It dep depends on the reason. They both <laughs> have their amazing um, attributes. My nan was a public speaker, so I've been on stages since I was very, very little. All of those, I can... Your nan? My she nan. was a public speaker, yeah. was she? So I, I can share all these on my what was her name? social media. Joan. 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 Yeah, she's great. She's so great. You know, we went to the Mamma Mia party last week. And honestly, about 50 people came up to her. And my granddad, my grandma and my like, we were all dancing together. They were like giving hugs. You've given us so much inspiration. How old are you? Yeah, life of the party. You, look, that, <laughs> you've already got me. Mamma Mia. See, look, Tony Robbins, Brendan... What's the best thing you've ever learned from Tony Robbins? Mm. The lessons are so ingrained in me that they're my normal day thinking. When I was 21 years old, I went on a course called Thrive by Rob Kelly. Really great course and book. They brought up negative thinking. They brought up limiting beliefs. Right. I didn't understand the concept of what a limiting belief was because I just didn't have them. And since then, I've learned more because it's been able to help yeah. me understand different people, but I, I just don't get them. Right. So for me, it's being able to eliminate it from the very start and having that mindset shift. Yeah, so you've got the opposite of them are empowering beliefs, yeah? Mm. So to, so the, coming back to Tony then, did he take... Who was the f person that you said, Rob Kelly? Or? Um, Brendan Bouchard. No, you said... Oh, you, Rob you, Kelly. Uh, a book, yeah? Mm -hmm. But what what have you got from Tony Robbins? How has he helped you in your life? For me, well, I first started listening to him because I wanted to get good grades. My mum's Indian, so I had to get really good grades. Right. The end up lesson was ultimately, I'd say, internal control. Like I'm 100% responsible mm. for everything that happens in my life. And anything that happens to me, I'm 100% responsible about the way that I react to it the way that I can address it and the way that I can move on from it. Yeah. And taking that responsibility means that I have to be internal with everything I do. And that's a big thought pattern. Was that in a book or listening to him or at an event? Um, multiple different right. trainings throughout many years. What about Brendan then? <laughs> what have you got from Brendan? He, Brendan. He's into high performance. He is into high performance. And he was my, how do I get loads of things done? Um, so he, for example, really helped me about the productivity and how I can prioritize certain things. Um, which has allowed me to be able to do multiple things at the same time. How do you prioritize certain things? For me, now it's enjoyment. Right. What do I feel like doing? And if I feel like doing it, it means I'm happy to do it. Um, how do I, for example, I know I have certain things that I have to do to make me happy. I have to see my friends, for example. Okay, great. Monday's going to be salsa night. I make sure that I don't do anything Do you do salsa? I, I, I do salsa. You remember that movie, Along Came Polly, with... <laughs> Jennifer Aniston and well, what's his name? Oh, it's so funny. Salsa dancing. So you do salsa. You also do breathing. And Wim, <laughs> Wim Hof, yeah? 
Breathwork. But I also breathe. Yeah, yeah. You I breathe so every day. You, clearly, you, you breathe every day. So you do Wim Hof. Mm-hmm. Why? For me, the breath and being able to control that can create so many different emotions in the body. It's nothing externally you're taking. It's something that you're able to produce yourself. And the breath can be used in many different ways. It can con- help you control certain situations. And again, coming back to that internal control, if I have no resources, I still have myself and I have my breath and I can control my energy through my breath. How often do you do it, Wim Hof? I've started to practice breathing exercises every day. It started off going to a workshop here and there. Do you do any ice baths or anything like that as well? You hear about this all. You do, <laughs> you do ice baths as well? Oh, hot and cold therapy. So you go into, I did it a lot in Switzerland. You go into a, a cold plunge pool. Yeah. Cold, cold. And then you get off there, go into like a hot um, a hot sauna or you go into a hot pool and you do this back yeah, and forth. It's really nice. It's, it's hard yeah. at first and then you get used to it. When you've got it there, it's it's easy to do. You know, when you go into the place that's got the hot pool mm-hmm. and the cold pool, you can jump in. It's really invigorating. You know, but getting up in the morning, turning your shower on a cold, to me, that's that's different <laughs> from me going and just jumping in a cold pool over there. I find that one much easier. It really is. It's, in, it's about the environment. I think one thing from being in London, it's very hard to do things because of the weather. It's harder to go on hikes. It's harder to have the motivation to go for a cold shower. So it is about being in your environment. How can you make it work for you? And a little bit is better than nothing. Right. Let's get in the audience's head for a second. (laughs) Give me three reasons why tomorrow morning every listener should get up out of bed and have a cold shower. Give me three reasons. I would. So it, it wakes you up. It is a massive shock to the system. And when your body can deal with that shock to the system, you can deal with anything that comes at you for the day. But that's my one reason. Uh, Okay, so it will wake you up (laughs) and that shock will get you taking the day by storm. You can deal with anything after that. A lot of the time when you practice breath work, then you can take a cold shower because your body is more open to something rather than going straight for the cold shower. How long? This is a dare for a lot of listeners right now. How long are we daring them to stay cold? Five seconds. Because anyone can do five seconds. So after five seconds, do you literally jump out whilst you turn it back on hot, whilst you let it warm up and you just <laughs> stay in it whilst it's going more? Um, you could, for example, just do a normal shower and the last five seconds could be when you go cold. That's easier. Mm-hmm. It is. When your body's already hot... Turn it on turn it on colds a little mm. bit easier. It actually closes your pores and it's really good for your skin and for your hair growth. But having those five seconds will make such a difference because you've done it. And once you've done it, you can do yeah. it again. There you go. So whoever's listening right now, go and do that tomorrow and then come back on whichever platform you're watching or listening to this on and make a comment on it and give us some feedback, <laughs> please. Um, part of your story is also you're a TV star, yeah? Mm-hmm. So you were on The Apprentice. I was. What did you learn from Alan Sugar? Alan Sugar's really nice. He liked me because I had a tennis company and he really likes tennis. (laughs) Um, So he had a sweet spot for you. He had a sweet spot for me. Alan Sugar, I wouldn't say I learned so much from Alan Sugar. I'd say I learned more from the show. So the show showed me that whatever situation I was with no experience, that I could get up and make money from it. You can do anything and you can find a way to make money from it. And having that mindset means that you'll never, ever be poor because 
you'll always be able to figure out a way to make money. If you lose your business overnight, which happened to a lot of businesses, including myself in COVID, lost your business overnight, lost your revenue, got massive overheads to still pay, you can still find a way to make money. It's a really good point, isn't it? You know, the biggest thing that the show and all Alan taught you was get up and make money. Mm-hmm. It does keep it really simple, doesn't it, business? Mm. What was it like going into that boardroom for the... Because it is a fight, isn't it? It is a fight. Who's getting fired? What was it like that, I don't know, five minutes waiting outside going in? It's nerve-wracking. It's really nerve-wracking because you're a big fan of the show and you've completed the task. And what you end up doing is throughout the task, you make mental notes about decisions that other people have made and decisions that you've made. Fortunately... I'm good at making decisions in general. So I actually had Claude and Karen multiple times back me up and I didn't have to say anything and they would speak for me. You you know when they backed you up? Did you just feel a bit of relief at that time or what was the emotions that were flowing through your veins at that point? Someone understands my point. Someone understands what I was trying to say. I got massively underestimated because I was young and I always got told you're so young and you look so young and what are you doing young? And it created this like well am I too young to be doing this and I'd never had that before limited belief there you it go. was a limiting belief and I was like well where's this coming from where's this getting created at that same time I was in the tennis industry which is 98% men and most of the people in my particular event company were around you know 40 50 years old so I was like I'm really doing something different but the fact that they were able to back me up felt like I'd been heard on the points I was trying to articulate is there any moments in that boardroom that like you're thinking, when you were thinking about yourself, I'm embarrassed here, what am I saying? What words are coming out of my mouth? Because sometimes when you're watching it, people are just, they're spurting out stuff and they must be embarrassed when they go back and watch it. No, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed with anything that no. I said. Um, maybe Did you observe an- that in others? I don't think anyone's embarrassed with what they're saying. There's such high pressure with mm. the boardroom. There's such psych up. Some of the boardrooms when they're in the final three go on for two or three hours. Really? Mm. And we just get the you just get the, a little the, bit the, the, the five minutes <laughs> of the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Two to three hours. Two to three hours. So it's a long Screw. process, and Lord Sugar listens and he allows you to speak. Sometimes we speak over each other because it is a bit intense, but generally you are able to articulate what you're trying to say and the decisions and the reason why you made certain decisions is what he's looking for. It's pretty cool, isn't it, on the TV programme? Because like, sometimes it's like three in the morning, they're coming and waking mm-hmm. you up type thing. <laughs> what was the earliest? We had a call at 2am. Are you told the night before what time they're going to... So for this one we were. We went. We got to bed at about 11pm and we were up at 2am and we were making donuts. And there's a scene and I have these like glasses on because I can't see anything so we're contacts. And it's like really stressful because at that time I didn't know yeah. how to cook. Can cook now. Um, and it was just like I'm in a kitchen and loads of people are shouting at everything and it was really stressful because we didn't have much sleep. Other times it's 4 or 5am. Four or five. Mm. Uh, yeah, very good. So Alan Sugar, like, get up and make money. That's the big lesson that you got from there. He came to one of our conferences and we interviewed him. And true to form, some of his biggest takeaways was business is simple. Show me the numbers. Mm-hmm. What are the numbers? Show me the PL. I want to see it right now. Show me the numbers. 
making numbers-based decisions. Did he, did he teach you about decision-making? I learned a lot through going through the process yeah. about decision-making. Um, and, and one of them is that I have a very complex brain. I think about things from many different angles. Yeah. Now, how I look at business is, is very simple. So, for example, if you take a... Um, if you take a staff member, you want to grow your team. Is that person going to save me money or are they going to make me money? Yeah. If they're going to make me money or they're going to save me money, then they could be a good decision. Then it comes to, am I going to enjoy working with them or am I not going to enjoy working with them? Are they going to thrive or is this not going to thrive? If you keep it simple and don't overcomplicate it, you'll very easily expand anything in your business. When did you decide to, to build your own business? Because you're building a business right now. It's big. Mm -hmm. When did you make that decision to grow something? When I was nine years old, I watched The Apprentice. I was a big Apprentice fan. I watched every single episode until I was on it. And I thought I could do it. And when I was 14, I started my first sweets business called Sweet Memory. Funnily enough, the winner from the year before me had the same business that I was doing when I was 14 years old, um, which was basically getting old-fashioned sweets, putting them in jars, making them look pretty. And when I was 15 years old, I made my boss in the tennis world £8,000 in a week. I made him £8,000 in a week, which was so much money to Training me back count. then. what was it? Um, running a big event. And I got yeah. paid £150. And I thought, I'm going to learn how to do this myself. The next year, I got qualified while I was still in school. And by the age of 21, I was running a six-figure year business. From that frustration and aggression of... I want to be able to do something like they do. I want to get paid fairly for what I do. And what my parents do, and they're both teachers, they're working really hard and they're not getting enough funds to live a lifestyle that I'd want to live when I'm older. So what else can I do about it? Why did you use that word aggression? Because two times I've felt really fueled when I run my tennis business, for example. The first time was when my boss unfairly paid me for all the work I was doing and I got nothing. So the, the level of dissatisfaction was so high, mm -hmm. you were so pissed, sorry for that, that you just turned that into motivation. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And that, that, that motivation fueled me. Second time, really random, quick story, went on a trip to travel the world as a content creator when I was 21. Three months later, I come back and one of the parents from my company, one of the parents' kids started a competitive business down the road. Within six months, we were the largest company in the UK. That frustration and that fuel was what I actually found that drived me. A competitor. A new competitor. All right, so you like a bit of competition. I'm a tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> I thrive off competition. How important is that rivalry? Because you look at some of the greats, you know, even in tennis... You, you you know you, you Roger Federer. He always had competition. I mean, arguably there was he was competing with with Nadal and Djokovic. Mm -hmm. If when the fastest runners in the world they run a hundred meter sprint in this amount of seconds, they're competing against themselves until they find out someone else has done it in a shorter amount of time. So you know it's possible. And when you know the limits and you know it's possible, then you want to try and get there yourself. Yeah, one of my mentors is called Frank Dick, and he was the performance director for British Athletics. He coached Daley Thompson and Steve Cram and Seb Go and all these, and he also um, did some coaching with Alex Ferguson as well in, in football and Boris Becker in tennis. But the big thing that Frank says is your biggest competitor is yourself. 
Now, you, the only way you can compete with yourself is to know what your best is. Because the challenge is personal best. Mm-hmm. And Action Coach, as an organization, they do that in business. You know, what's your best? What's the best month? What's the best number of followers you've had? What's the best number of views you've had? And as long as you know that, that's your, always your target. Mm-hmm. Always that improvement. It's a mindset game. If you know it's possible and you've seen that it's possible, then what do you need to do to come one step closer? What can you do, start doing? What can you stop doing? And your progression will accumulate over time. Look, you're at the forefront of, I want to say PR, but it's also marketing. It's marketing, isn't it? It's PR. So how is marketing going to change in 2024 and beyond? I think we've moved into an attention economy when there is so much noise being thrown at us. We don't need more information. We need to understand what to do and how to implement information. For me, the most exciting point right now is AI because it allows you to have that capacity to do more in a shorter amount of time and to gain and gather information quickly so you could absorb it and then implement it. Do you you use AI? Mm -hmm. How is it speeding you up right now? For me, I will, for example... Let's say I have a sales team, which which I do. I want my sales team to become even better at closing and even better at understanding opportunities. So if I, for example, get their sales scripts and I can put this into the AI and I can create feedback from the AI, what does the person do well? What do they not do well? Do they onboard the person? It allows me to... Really? You can ask AI that to give you feedback on that? So you have to download your your brain into AI and then you can use AI as a bot in order to accelerate other activities, which means you have more leverage of your time. It certainly gives you ideas, doesn't it? It certainly gives you forward thinking. What else? Uh, Right, so you said attention economy. Mm -hmm. Is the problem lack of attention? It's too much information, too many things to go to, too many information everywhere, YouTube, TikTok, Mm. Facebook, Instagram, too much bombardation. At the same time, it's because of the social media, what's happened is when you go onto something, the amount of dopamine level that that content will produce is slowly getting depleted. So your attention span gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So therefore you're getting too much information and at the same time you're not able to absorb it. You see, I'm, I'm making this up, so this is complete opinion. But if you look on Instagram, there's a lot of positive things on there, a lot of positive messages. There's a lot of advice that's been given out. I mean, I look at it and I can, wow, there's so much. I actually think intentions are there to, to grow. Intentions are there for positivity and moving mm-hmm. forward. But what you're saying is attention, because intention is one thing, attention is another, actually. Having the intention to do something and then is the gap getting bigger rather than smaller? I think especially when you go on content, you, for example, get very quickly amused and you learn something and then you go to the next thing because you're always chasing the next high. It's kind of like when you're on a dating app, not that you're on a dating app, but when you can be on a dating app. I once was on a dating app. When you once were on a dating app. I'm not on a dating app anymore. (laughs) And if I have, someone's put me on that. (laughs) You swipe. And you're like, oh, okay, like that that girl's interesting. I'm going to swipe. Maybe I'll message her. Maybe I won't. It's the same when you're consuming content. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I won't. And the issue is you're getting fed all of this information. You don't know who to listen to. You don't know what to do. And you, there's so many things that you can do that it stops you making the next progress. And then it's a bit stressful. So then you just go back to social media to get the dopamine happy again. Look, I've, I've never suffered from being a socialite where I skim in social platforms all of the time. So I can't relate to that. Now, 
every so often I'll have a look and I see it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, really, but maybe five minutes. Mm-hmm. But do, do people do it all day long? The average person under 24 spends around three to four hours a day on social media. Really? Mm-hmm. Screen time tells you that on your phone. Book more the, meetings. The, the, the apps. Screen, screen time meetings. can be around eight to 12 hours. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm screen time on computer screens in meetings. And you see, personally, again, I'm just reflecting on what you're saying. I get my energy from people. And the more people I'm with, the more productive I am, really. So. I'm constantly in meetings all the time. Which is great, but you're also an example of someone who doesn't spend so much time on the phone. And the majority of people now, they suffer from loneliness. They suffer from having low attention spans. They're not able to get that same excitement. They'd rather be on their phone or their Xbox or watch TV than go outside. If you look at the younger and the newer generations, they're really, really tech savvy, but they're phone savvy. Their communication skills are very different. Is is there any advice? Is there any comments that we've got to those people that might want to change change the pattern? You know, if let's just say the the gap between intention, they want to do some good things, but their attention's not there. You know, my bit of advice is book more meetings, go and meet people, type thing. But is, is there any other advice? Whilst the waiting for the shower <laughs> or plucking up the courage to get in the shower to think about. I'd, I'd give different advices for different age groups. Right. Um, but assuming... Let, let's do the different age groups then. Let's like, do the different... Okay. Let, let's do Generation <laughs> Z. What's, I, I don't I, know I, I get is. confused with all the letters. The, the younger generation, I'd actually say it really comes down to the, the parents to help educate a little bit more. Because if you look at parents now, if you look at people going on dates now, they're on their phones. They, they're at a restaurant and they give their phone to their kid. Right. So the young, young kids, they're growing up and the way that they socialize is via texting, via games. So actually, it's the educational part. But going on to who's probably listening to this audience and it's something I can speak about a long time. When you're doing it, be search intent, meaning if you have gone on to social media, I'm going to suggest YouTube for this. If you've gone on to YouTube to learn how to get more leads for your business, then do that and leave. Don't get distracted by every other thumbnail, every other thing that you could learn, something that could be useful in the future. That's what happens. And then they bring you into their web. So be intentional. And if you can, stick to YouTube because it's more informational and it's not so much quick attention scrolling. Let's stick on this uh, concept a little bit because there's there's also good things in having a phone, yeah? Mm -hmm. Elon Musk says this is a good thing. This is the future. This is going to help you. And, you know, he believes everybody should have have one. Now, if you go back generations and eras, I've also heard professional speakers speak about this. It's, if you go back, I don't know, 50 years, when kids came home from school, they were putting the radio on. And the parents were saying, get off the radio. And then, you know, you go fast forward two or three decades and they're putting the TV on. Turn the TV off. You need to go and play play outside and etc. And then you go forward two or three decades, and it's like get off the phone or the iPad or whatever it is. It's just it's always been the same. The the technology's just changed, the, or the way that we're consuming has changed. Hmm. So Elon Musk thinks this is a good thing. 
Having a phone, I think, is a great thing. It creates so many opportunities. Mm. But what we don't think about is we are one person. In the scheme of things, we're insignificant, right? We're one of X amount of billion people. Social media companies have all this data and they know exactly what you're looking, where you're scrolling, what your feedback is, what do you enjoy looking back, whose profiles you're talking, all this information they collect upon you with billion dollar companies and you're just little you. So thinking it from that perspective, there must be something that we don't know. There must be something that we haven't thought about yet that they've already thought in about. And it's not about coming off social media. It's not about coming off your phone. It's about finding what is that distraction that's triggering you and how can your phone amplify your life and maybe there's some areas that you could cut back on. I just feel like echoing this point uh, one of the greats, Dale Carnegie, wrote the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. And, he, he, you know, this was a big takeaway that I got personally, which was the the secret ingredient in happiness. And is happiness success? Well, everyone can have their own opinion on that, can't they? Here's the se- secret ingredient. Real, deep, meaningful, lasting relationships. Mm-hmm. So come back to the, those people that are doing three or four hours a day and skimming. how did they develop more relationships with people? Mm. Because where you started was PR, is public relationships. Maybe they are developing relationships with people online. It's a new form of relationship. And I'm assuming a few people listen to this are parents. Like my kids will not have phones until they're in their like teenage years. I wonder if there's, (laughs) just go with us for this for a second, teenagers. Um, Can you develop a real meaningful lasting relationship through technology i suppose you can surely people have done it on a more spiritual level we are we have different layers of us right right so when you have a phone that's blocking that barrier me sending you an emoji is very different from me having a conversation and maybe you know you're upset so i gently touch you on the shoulder Maybe you feel like you're lonely, but I'll have that really meaningful look in your eye and I'll say to you, I'm there without saying I'm there. You can't have that level of communication when you're on the phone with someone. It's very different. Imagine that you're going to a date with somebody. You can text them and it can be flirty and you can have fun and you could be laughing. If you've experienced real love, you know that's not what love is. And when you can bring that and show the differentiation, but people don't know there's a difference because they're young and they've been brought up in a different generation. What's the take-home message? Put your phone down, get some eye contact with someone. <laughs> Is that the take-home message there? I, I think be aware. Be aware of your addictions. Be aware of your habits. And once you're aware, then you can decide if that's something you want to change or not. Yeah, I mean, look, even Stephen Bartley, he puts... he's pretty controversial with some of the stuff that he puts out. It's really good stuff. I mean, he's interviewing some of the biggest gurus in the world. And in some ways, though, it's bringing the attention online. It's bringing the attention to go and watch YouTube. It's bringing the attention to go listen to a podcast rather than spend it with your nearest and dearest. I think the balance is a really good point. Um, What about personal branding then? People want to personal branding we're in an era of people personal branding yeah mm-hmm. are people making mistakes personal branding everyone makes mistakes with everything they do but personal branding is how i would say it's about how you appear online and what right. someone thinks about specifically to you 
PR can have that kind of company facing, whereas personal branding is more about how you feel and if people are going to buy into you compared to buying into someone else. It's quite a nice question, is it? How do you appear online? It's quite quite a nice audit question for the listeners, isn't it? Well, think about it for a second. How do you appear online and how do you feel about that? Is that what your second question was? Mm. Or how do you want to feel about it? How do you want to leave somebody feeling after they've met you? So imagine that we're meeting for the first time, yeah. which, not the first time, but imagine it was the first time or when it was back. How did you feel when you met me? When you left, did you feel excited? Did you feel like you were a drive? I'll tell you, I'll, tell you. I'll answer that question. This is how I feel every time I've met you. You're fast, you're sharp, you're smiley, you're engaging, speed. This is what I picked up. It's like, just get on and do it. Do it. Yeah, you can do that. Bam. Let's get something done. So... And I like that. I value that personally. It's like every time you've done that, I've, I've, I've felt listened to. You you believe there's a positive way forward and action's been taken. And it's the action that's been taken that's the real credibility boost. That's what's differentiated you for me in terms of pe- people in PR. Speed of action. Thanks. <laughs> which is you know I didn't know I was going to say anything that by the way which is a lot of what we talked about intention is one thing taking action is a different thing mm. turning intention into action is is the bit that I want people to take away from this mm. what how do you do it so quick by the way how do you do all that how do I well what's the secret to your speed I have a really fast brain and my brain works very, very fast. Go on. Second secret is I know what I'm very good at and I know where I need help. And I have an incredible team that help me move things really, really fast. And having those team members means that I find their strengths and what they're really good at and they can bring together what that picture is and they can implement it. Do you know what? It's a really good point. And it's really well documented point, isn't it? Play to your strengths. Get everybody else playing to them strengths. Again, we're preaching to the converted here. A lot of people will have the intention of doing that. They're just not doing it. Mm. So, for, for me, that's also a, a purpose thing, right? I'm not going to stay young forever. I'm not going to have the energy forever. I want to, and I can't wait to have a family and kids very, very soon. When that comes, my dynamic will change my my things will change while i'm here and right now i have all this energy and this youthfulness and my brain's working well i have these amazing capabilities that allow me to feel alive every day if i could build something and make me feel more alive and drive my purpose then why wouldn't i so if i have an idea then let's go make it happen and the worst case is that it didn't work or we learned something from it And if we learn something from it, we can go do it again and do something different. A lot of the time we think about ideas and we don't act upon them because our drive and our why isn't strong enough. There's no urgency. Have you heard of Napoleon Hill? You might have heard of Napoleon Think and Grow Rich. Again, very well documented. 1937. You see, what you just said relates to one of his points, which is burning desire. You know, fueling a burning desire. Literally, you know, chapter one, desire in Think and Grow Rich. What What is your vision? What do you want to do? What, what is your why? When I was 14, I listened, as I mentioned, to Tony Robbins and Brendan Bouchard. Yeah. 
I was a 14-year-old girl listening to a 35-year-old, 40-year-old man because there weren't any other females and there weren't any other You definitely talked about Brendan Bouchard. <laughs> Tony Robbins is older than you think, though. Okay, maybe, maybe a bit older. My point being, I was listening to a middle-aged man and I was thinking back then, why were there no other females that I could relate to? And that's been a big driver for me is who would have I wanted to have as my role model when I was younger. And my role model was like Hermione Granger out of Harry Potter. And that was pretty much it. I didn't have anyone to aspire to. So how could I be that person that I'd be proud upon? Do you love Harry Potter? I'm a big Harry Potter fan. You're a big Harry <laughs> Potter fan. Yeah, I know because you asked for a meeting at the Harry Potter Hotel. There's a, there's a Hogwarts Hotel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There you go. Um, Hogwarts Hotel. Really cool. So do you want to be the next Tony Robbins? Do you want to be the female young Tony Robbins? That's what I originally had in my mindset as I was growing up and as I had this thing. Now it's about how can I create a purpose and, and enjoy and do what I want to do. And if that happens, great. But it's not the excitement of speaking on stages and fame. It's the excitement of being able to feel fulfilled every single day fulfillment every day i suppose you are helping a lot of businesses with the pr with their relationships with the public i mean let's definitely lean into that word because we mentioned it earlier on about personal relationships at home your relationships online with people that whole depth that's what you're helping people do i got some quick questions for you let's go with three actually what the three best books you've ever read Good question. First book, I would say Thrive by Rob Kelly. The reason I like this book is because... That's the second time you mentioned it. Second time I mentioned it. It explains the concepts of thought very, very well. Was that the first book you'd read? No, the first book I ever read was The Four Quadrants by Rob Kiyosaki. Oh, yeah. At a young age. No wonder you're into it. When I was 16 years old. Ah, very nice. I actually, me and my first ever boyfriend, we went to a seminar of Jordan Belfort. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's 17. The Wolf. The Wolf. What was that like? <laughs> that was, interestingly, I was sat on the back row and I was, because you, you don't have much budget back then, sat on the back row and I was listening you to somebody don't else. Have much budget <laughs> back then, um, and he was saying about how actually Robert made a lot of his um, funds through books. And that it was that moment I was like, interesting, because he talks about property. And I actually twigged about how to be more critical and analytical when I see certain figures online. I think what he's done and how he's spreading message about money and learning about yeah. money is really important. Um, but it did give me a different perspective back then. Okay, so Fried by Rob Kelly. I took you off track there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be Kiyosaki's Quadrant, but... Um, uh, we'll say we'll say books. we'll say Four Quadrants by Robert Kiyosaki because that was my first book, and it allowed me to think differently. Cash Flow Quadrant, I think it's called. Or is it called Four Quadrants? It's probably called Cash Flow Quadrant. Yeah, yeah. something similar. Um, my third one, I would probably say Twenty One Lessons of the Twenty First Century by Yuval Noah I think I've said his name correct. He has a really good quote in there. I think it was in chapter 19 and it says, the only constant is change. Really beautiful quote. Throughout the whole book, he analyzes the way different sections of society are and how you can think differently and what the implications will be. And it allows your brain to go. 21 lessons of the 21st century. There you go. So it wasn't a lesson from each century. It was 21 from this year, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, from this uh, century. All right. What's your favorite movie? Can I say Harry Potter? Yeah, you My- can. Of course you can. No one's ever said it before, but you can have it. I'd probably say Inception. That's, um, don't tell me, that is 
Wolf Wall Street guy. Leonardo DiCaprio. The best actor on the planet. Mm. Is he the best actor on the He's planet? He's a great actor. It's <laughs> emotional engagement and intensity that he hits. Mm -hmm. Unreal. All right, so Inception. Yeah, I mean, that's very deep thinking, very calculated. There's a bit of suspense in it. You know? Favourite holiday destination? Holiday destination? I love Mexico. Why? So I've lived in Mexico for a year and a half, and it has such authenticity about the culture, and it's not very westernised. So you go down and you still have the little stores and the little shops. It's very spiritual. There's lots of yoga different places. The wildlife is kept. It's pretty much run by the cartels. So there's a lot less government intervention, and people can just... It's a lot more open. You, like, if you want to get something done, you're very transparent about it. There's no black paper, white paper. Is Mexican food your favourite as well? Um, I love Mediterranean food and right. I love, um, like, Vietnamese, Thai. Mm -hmm. Vietnamese, Thai, Mediterranean. All right, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Time travel. Time travel. So cool. When would you go back to? Or forward to? Or forward to. I, I think there's so many. You know, I'd, I'd be, they say history as the word, but if you break down the word, it says his story. So I'd be really interested to go back in time and find his out. story. Mm. It's very sexist. It's, <laughs> it is what it is. No um, and it's basically finding out if what actually happened in history did happen or if it's told a certain way in order yeah. to create a certain agenda. Sensationalized. Mm. Propaganda. All right, so time travel. If you had to go forward to any date, what would it be? I don't know. I'd go 100 years from now. 100 years from now. Mm. What lessons could we have learned now? That I wonder what the world will be like 100 years from now. Put it in your comments box. Wherever you're watching this, get it in the comments. What will the world be like 100 years from now? you got a comment, by the way. I want to see your comment on, on all the platforms there. Don't have to answer it now. You can think about that one. Okay. Are you an early bird or night owl? Dependent. So I'll go through phases. Sometimes um, if I'm going through a dancing phase and I like bachata dancing and salsa dancing, then we'll start at 9pm so we don't finish till 1am, 2am. If I'm more in a productive state and I have lots of things to do, then I'll more be the early girl. Early word. So kind of both. Mm-hmm. If you could have one day in somebody else's life, who would you choose? Mm. I could go conspiracy theory here, but I won't. I would be very interested to go to someone like Elon Musk's. Oh, yeah. Because I find I think he would know things that I don't know, and I'd want to find He's, out what they whoa, whoa, are. Just for a second, <laughs> just for a second. Let's give you some credit and respect. He, for me, would definitely know things that I didn't know. When I say that, I mean like yeah, the more like yeah. higher level things that some, someone like myself wouldn't think about yeah uh, very yeah. yeah look he knows he knows some he good knows stuff doesn't things. he <laughs> so you choose elon musk who is the conspiracy one like one of the rockefeller families <laughs> all right cool smart like it so elon musk who've been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life i really haven't had many i'd probably say my, my friends and my nan like i John. don't john john Joe's well, making an appearance. <laughs> again, second appearance, celebrity. Mm -hmm. So she made the appearance at Mamma Mia or at uh, um, uh, ABBA mm -hmm. the other day. So, Joan, what did you learn from Joan? 
from her she's so positive and she's so confident and she has such a beautiful energy about her that I know that is one of the reasons why I think the way that I am and I'm quite positive in what I'm thinking so for her that was really nice growing up um I'd probably say one of my best friends um because again the positivity you get so much insight when someone's positive and happy in themselves when you speak to them you leave feeling excited you feel leave feeling motivated if you have a question they don't have a second agenda so they're able to bring that out from you I've never really had a business role model and I still don't and I found interestingly enough when I came off social media and I stopped consuming other people's content when was that nine months ago right ish about nine months ago my business the 3x Really? Because mm, I stopped listening to other people's advice and I intuned to my own brain, which I have confidence is good. And I did a lot more revenue-wise and profit-wise than I did when I was consuming all this content. I love that. So nine months ago, that's when your business reacts because mm, you mm -hmm. started, stopped listening to others and started listening to yourself mm -hmm. and taking control. And that's consuming content. I'll, I can put out content, yeah. but consuming content, um, I stopped because there was so much. Is that common things. in influencers? Um, in what sense? You know that if you look at your growth from, from that point, you could map it on, on a graph. It's like that point there, nine months ago, I stopped consuming others, everything else spiked. Is that common for other people that have had spikes, do you think? that this Literally stop taking advice from everyone else and just start going with themselves? I think it depends. So some people really thrive on having a business coach and having that accountability. I thrive on listening to what my brain says and not having accountability with, with someone else mm -hmm. but having it internally. So it really depends on what kind of personality you are. Someone else that would be a really bad decision for because they get inspiration from others. Look, we've talked about a number of things today, PR, public relations, personal relationships that you've got, self-branding, marketing, growth. What's the first thing that someone should do, having listened to this? Assuming you're a, running a business or want to run a business, go through your entire journey and see how simple you can make it. Click here, click here, click here, and your business will do a lot better than it currently is. From personal Why experience learned. That? Why did you choose that? Because it's, it's one of the biggest things. It's so complicated what everyone creates. How can we make things simple again? Think about food. All these different ingredients, and different things coming out and these different hacks. When we just keep it simple and eat a normal diet, think how much healthier we'd be having. Rather than having all these crazy different um, operations and having to do these certain things. What if we just get outside and exercise in the sun? The more we can keep it simple, the more we can thrive. Love, love it. Keep it simple, folks. You know, my favorite thing has been in this. I've got loads of notes in here and a number of things that you said earlier on. And then a few of the stories that you told from being in uh, on The Apprentice as well. And the impact that that has, a, has had on you. But my favorite thing was when you just said, when I stopped listening to others and I started listening to myself nine months ago, 3X business. That's my favourite point. What's your favourite point of this conversation? has to be my nan. <laughs> she John, made an appearance. Jo made an appearance. appearance. There you go. <laughs> jo um, I think it's... I think. Are you going to get to watch it? 
I'll get her to watch it. I'll listen to it. <laughs> is she going to watch or listen? She'll, she'll watch it. I'll get to watch it. Uh, excellent. John, I'll get to meet you at some point. Have a good one. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey there, James here with an exciting announcement. The BizX Awards is coming to the ACC Liverpool from the 18th to the 19th of April with an incredible lineup of speakers. You're going to meet the likes of Stephen Mulhern, Donald Miller, Deborah Meaden, and many, many more. Book your spot right now at thebizx.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed listening to the Business Excellence podcast, make sure to comment your top learnings and favorite moments as well as like and subscribe. See you next time.